0: Welcome. Thank you for joining us. We're joined today by Dr. Eric Johnson, colorectal surgeon with Aurora Baycare General and Vascular Surgery to discuss colon cancer prevention and screenings. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Johnson. Thank you for having me. So let's go ahead and get started. Dr. Johnson, why don't you start just by telling everyone a little bit about yourself and your training and what makes you qualified to sort of have these discussions?
1: Sure. Uh, so I'm a general surgeon, which means that we do mostly abdominal or, or belly type surgery. Um, I did some extra time training in colon and rectal disease. So uh, I'm a colorectal surgeon as well as a general surgeon. And um, so we spend extra time uh, kind of learning about um, specific diseases in particularly colon and rectal cancer. So I see a lot of patients that have colon and rectal cancer as well as other sort of precancerous uh, conditions that we see in the clinic. Uh,
0: can you share with us just a little bit about the current data surrounding colon cancer and, and maybe why these conversations are important?
1: Mm-hmm. So colon cancer is a very common uh, disease. So it is the second most common cancer diagnosed in the United States and the third leading cause of cancer death for both men and women. So it's a very common uh, type of cancer, but um, it doesn't get a lot of attention. And so it's it's good to talk about just to let people know things to watch for, and it is a very preventable cancer. So that's even better. There's ways to prevent the cancer, and that's why it's important to, to get the word out and, and talk about these things that might be somewhat uncomfortable conversations sometimes.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that's purely the mission of our conversation today, I think, too. Um, Can we talk a little bit about what exactly we're talking about um, when you say colorectal cancer, rectal cancer, colon cancer? Talk a little bit about what that means.
1: Sure. So um, the the large intestine, which is also known as the colon, uh, is about four to five feet in length. And the last foot uh, we designate as the rectum. So it's all one long tube, but we kind of divide it into two separate uh, names because uh, cancers uh, develop differently and, and behave differently in those two parts of the body. So when someone has a colonoscopy, what they're doing is looking with a camera inside that whole large intestine. And uh, cancer almost always starts off as a polyp, which is a precancerous little often little raised growth inside the intestine. And we can see that uh, during a colonoscopy or some of the other tests that we can do to look at the intestine. And they also can cause things like bleeding or symptoms of uh, a blockage in the intestine. So that's another way we can kind of figure out that something is going on there. Um, In terms of uh, just raw numbers, about 150,000 people will be diagnosed with colon cancer this year. Uh, and um, the incidence overall is about 4% of the United States population. So men and women, about 4% risk of getting uh, colon or rectal cancer. So uh, if we find, uh, you know, cancer just you know, it basically starts off as part of your own body, you know, cancer doesn't like come from some other part of your, you know, outer space or something like that. Like it's part of your own body. And so there's, there's things that trigger this inside of our bodies. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in terms of, ways you can kind of prevent it or things that we think that trigger it. But basically part of your own body changes in some way. There's some damage or something that happens, whether you have genes that cause it or or certain things that trigger those changes, smoking, alcohol, diet, changes some of the, the inside of your body. And because your large intestine stores a lot of what you've digested for a while longer and also has to break down those things, uh, that part of your body is prone to damage. And so if some of those cells get altered and they start behaving abnormally, that's when you get these growths that form inside your intestine. And the nice thing about colonoscopies is that we can actually remove those precancerous growths uh, before they become a cancer. So I can kind of think of it almost like someone that you know has a, has a mass on their skin or a mole that looks abnormal. You know, We take those off and remove them because we're trying to prevent something else from getting worse. And that seems sort of idea happens inside the intestine as well as we can find these little spots that are not yet cancer and if we remove them they don't become cancer and that's the way that we can prevent people from dying from this type of disease
0: yeah that's incredible and so that's what you're looking for when you when you talk about screenings and those kinds of things you're trying to get to it before it becomes a
1: problem. Yeah, so a screening test, um, similar to people that yeah, were looking for lung cancer and they get a chest x-ray, a screening mm-hmm. test is a test that we would uh, use to find something going wrong before it gets to be too late. And so a screening test that we have for colon cancer would include colonoscopies or testing your stool for blood, or there's a DNA test now that we can test the stool for also to look for cancer. So these are all tests that Your primary care doctor or other doctors might recommend that you have to find something before it gets to be too late and all of a sudden we have you know a much bigger dangerous problem if we haven't found it soon
0: yeah and i want to talk about that because early detection as you had mentioned before is is one of the biggest proponents of of colon cancer and colorectal cancers can you talk about how important it is to maybe catch those early
1: Mm -hmm. so there's a couple different guidelines for when we should start testing people there's a lot of different choices for what tests that you have so um, a lot of it comes down to just you know what people feel most comfortable with but i think having any one of the tests is better than not having any of the tests so um, you know your primary care doctor you know we'll talk about a number of choices Um, basically most of these tests start between age 45 and 50 is when they're supposed to be starting so for example colonoscopy is uh, recommended a start between age 45 and 50 for someone who we consider to be average risk. That's a person that's not having any symptoms that would trigger us to think something is going on um, and also doesn't have a strong family history of colon cancer or other types of diseases that might make you prone to colon cancer. So for a person that's, you know, feeling good, normal, Not having a family history of colon cancer, and and we really consider the strongest family history to be what's called a first-degree relative. That would mean your parent, your child, or your sibling, um, that's a first-degree relative. So if none of those people have colon cancer, then we can usually start age 45 or 50. And Mm -hmm. uh, I just turned 45, and I had a colonoscopy a few weeks ago, so we'll talk about that later. It's a little teaser for you to stay stay tuned (laughs) in the broadcast, because I'll go through what my experience was with a colonoscopy in a little bit.
0: Absolutely. Looking forward to that. Um, so, I want to back up just briefly because you had talked about it a little bit. Let's talk about demographics as far as who this disease can affect. Do you see this all across the board, or are there populations where um, maybe it's affecting more than others?
1: Yeah, so I mean, it is a truly universal disease. You know, we see that in all populations, and uh, we see a higher incidence and a lower age of diagnosis in African Americans in particular, um, but also anyone that, you know, we consider underrepresented, meaning that, you know, the the people that either, um, you know, recently with COVID, right, lost their job or, you know, can't afford to have preventative medicine, you know, in their budget this year or lost health insurance. Um, uh, all, everyone, you know, screenings are, are, are very down this year, uh, like 90% reduction in colonoscopies this year just because of COVID, they think. So, um, yes, in terms of just looking at all the populations, you know that Native Americans and African Americans have both a higher incidence of a cancer uh, and a younger age at diagnosis. But also, we don't know necessarily is that, is that because they didn't have access to healthcare, like other populations have more access to healthcare, or is it truly, you know, a, a, a genetic risk? And um, so it's hard to parse out, but we know that things, you know, why they made March Awareness Month is that they want to let everybody know that risk for colon and rectal cancer and, and just to adhere to these recommendations for when you start getting those tests. Um, is important then so that everybody knows that there is there is a risk. I I bring up uh, Chadwick Boseman, you know, who uh, I think is a very well known actor. He was the actor for Black Panther. You know, my family loved that movie. He was like the healthiest looking guy, you know, and uh, he was diagnosed at age 39 with colon cancer, and he died at age 43, I believe. So, um, you know, that's an unusual case. But uh, even when we say that someone just started at age 45. Uh, there's definitely people that get colon cancer a lot younger than 45. And we're seeing um, a lot younger people now. So if you look at kind of the whole country as a whole in terms of who's getting tested, we've had a good impact on the people that are over 50 in reducing the death rate from colon cancer. But the total death rate has stayed about the same because we're seeing younger people now with, with late stages of cancer. And so uh, it's a, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about symptoms to watch for, but just because you're not 45 or 50, it doesn't mean that you can't get colon cancer. You know, we, we see people in their 20s with colon cancer. So it's just one of those things that we can't just ignore, you know, put it down the road when I'm in my 50s to worry about because it's it can happen to anyone at any
0: age. Right, right. And it definitely needs to be top of mind for for everyone. So let's let's go back to that. Um, I want to talk about maybe some of the symptoms you talked about, family history, those kinds of things. Waiting until you're maybe 45 or 50 if you don't have any of those extra components. Um, but what are the symptoms that you should be looking out for that 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 maybe do present themselves, and and maybe you should get screened maybe earlier than 45.
1: Yeah. So you know, since this does affect your large intestine, it's kind of the end of your digestive system. So. Um, you're really going to be looking for changes in your stool that, you know, might show something different. So blood in the stool, you know, bright red blood, or for cancers that are more on the right side of your body and have a longer distance to travel before, you know, you you see the stool, darker stools, really tardy kind of consistency stools, uh, real black stools, that just means that the blood is in your body, but it's been digested and it's been, uh, it changes from a bright red blood that you see at the end of the large intestine to a darker, darker blood. So, um, so changes in the color, changes in the consistency of your stool. So, a narrower stool than you're used to or diarrhea uh, or even constipation because um, if you have something that's narrowing down your intestine, it'll make the stool thinner. Uh, sometimes people can have diarrhea because they have a blockage and the liquid stool is going around the blockage and the solid stool isn't. So they feel like they're bloated. It's like they're not going to the bathroom as much as they used to. Uh, they feel a pressure inside of their belly, you know, in more of their pelvis or up in their higher part of their belly. Um, so those kind of pains, bloating... Change in the bowel frequency, so less often or more often, uh, blood in the stool, uh, appetite changes, weight loss. Those are all kind of more vague type symptoms. But um, again, these, these cancers on the right side of the belly um, kind of more show up with bleeding or, or uh, just generalized bloating versus the left sided colon cancers cause blockages and it's blocking that solid stool. So people feel really more blocked up versus. The bleeding, you know, weight loss, vague, you know, kind of symptoms you get with a right-sided colon cancer. So any of those things that, you know, last, everyone has variability, you know, on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis, but if this has been, you know, persistent for a while at any age, it's worth talking to your primary care doctor or talking to one of our GI doctors here at our hospital or the surgeons. We, we, all, we all manage, you know, this kind of disease and it's worth checking in to see if the test seems worthwhile or not and Um, As I mentioned, there's not just colonoscopy as tests that we do for this. We can test the stool for blood. We can do a specialized CT scan looking for colon cancer. We can do the the endoscopy, which is colonoscopy, or looking just at the very end of the intestine. It's called the flexible sigmoidoscopy. Um, There's stool DNA tests, so there's lots of options um, to get, you know, a little bit of clarification. And and some of those tests are better than others, and and we'll talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the differences later on. But as I mentioned, just just being watchful of your body, monitoring your own body, and if something is not quite right, then talk to your doctor about it because it could be that we're going to pick up something before it becomes a very late stage. Colon cancer is... 90% 90% curable when we catch it early, and it's you know more like 50-40% uh, curable when it's caught late. You know we uh, change our plan from in an early cancer either a colonoscopy that can remove this can- pre lesion or a quick you know simple surgery to remove a part of the intestine, to when it's the cancer's already spread into the lymph nodes around the intestine or spread into other organs of your body that's not really a curable thing anymore. Once it's kind of spread, then we can give chemotherapy and other medicines to slow it down, but we can't really cure it in that situation. So that's why we really try to emphasize these early tests so we can catch it early and actually completely cure um, a patient of colon cancer versus just trying to give them more time or slowing down a cancer that we can't stop.
0: Right. Right. That 90 percent is is a pretty promising number if you can find it early, which is why conversations like these are so important when uh, we're talking about awareness and things like that. Um, They might be uncomfortable conversations for some people, but probably necessary. I do want to talk about some of those tests. Um, Many people have probably heard about some of those. Um, at-home colon cancer screenings, things that they can get in the mail where they can send samples back in. Talk a little bit about those and whether or not those are a good substitute for, for some of these other tests that you had just mentioned.
1: Sure. So uh, something called fecal occult blood testing, which means a card that you uh, swipe the stool on looking for blood, uh, has been around for a very long time. And it's a good test, but it's it's a pretty... A vague test. You know, you can get blood in the stool for a lot of reasons. It's really testing for iron. So if you have steak, you know, the day before, or you take an iron pill in your multivitamin or iron pill because you're low in iron, that will automatically make the test be positive. And so we, we get a lot of people that might have the test be positive, but really doesn't you know, it's not very specific. We'll we'll find people that have that positive test will actually really don't have cancer. Uh, But it's a a good starting point and it's uh, for people that just don't want a more invasive test. Uh, What's really recommended is to do that occult blood testing yearly, but also do some form of colonoscopy too. So the two together really are better than just, you know, either one alone. Um, And then, so that's, you know, that's a test for someone that, you know, wants to be, you know, doing something, but not something, you know, too invasive. But it's, it's you know, it misses things because not every cancer bleeds. And it also can be a positive test when there's nothing really wrong because you can pick up iron in your body by eating iron taking iron pills or those kind of things. Um, a stool DNA test is specific for cancer. So that's gotten a lot of press recently because people thought it was kind of, you know a substitute for a colonoscopy and that's looking for cancer DNA in the stool The issue with that test is that by the time you have cancer DNA in your stool you already have cancer and so I think it's an important point to remember that what we're trying to emphasize is getting tests that check before you get a cancer uh, because that's actually how we're preventing cancer and so that's why the colonoscopies are, are so helpful because we can actually see and remove things before they get to be a cancer versus finding a patient that already has a cancer, which they took, you know, from their, from their stool DNA card. So um, that's, uh, you know, an, an important point. It's not a way to substitute for colonoscopy because once we find that positive cancer DNA in your stool, it, it's, it's already, you know, been pretty far along. Uh, And uh, another test that we have is what's called a CT colonography. So uh, that's a CT scan that we can do that does um, a similar job at looking uh, at the inside of the intestine uh, as a colonoscopy does. However, uh, you still need to do the bowel clean out for the CT scan. So you're not avoiding that, which most people feel like is actually the worst part of a colonoscopy is the clean out. So you're not avoiding that if you get the CT scan because if your your colon is full of stool, you can't see the lining of the intestine well on the CT scan. So um, it is, you know, a non-invasive test in that, you know, you don't need to have the camera put in uh, but you still need to have the full bowel prep. And also you would need that every five years. So they don't don't yet recommend a a CT colonography uh, more than five years spaced. If they find something on your CT scan, they recommend a colonoscopy. So, um, if they see something on there on the CT scan and pick something up, the next step is okay. Now you're supposed to get a colonoscopy to remove move that spot. So you might, I guess, you're not really avoiding you know that second test with the CT scans. They're good, and again, for people that just don't want a colonoscopy, you know, it's a good test, but you still have some of the bloating feeling because they have to put some gas in the intestine to to distend the intestine, to look at the walls carefully on the CT scan. You still need the bowel prep and it's every five years. A colonoscopy that's done um, is uh, uh, a test that looks with a camera at the whole inside of large intestine. And if uh, that is a a normal test with no polyps or findings, then you go 10 years between screening tests for colonoscopy. Uh, colonoscopy uh, we bring people into the hospital here uh, they either get an an, I, an iv basically sedation um, and the how asleep they want to be is up to the patient um, and then uh, we do the camera insert into the large intestine and we look for anything that looks abnormal mm-hmm. if we see a polyp which is a precancer growth we remove it at that time and then uh, send it off to the lab, and then we call the patients back about you know, what we found there. If there were cancer cells in the polyp, or if it was just a simple precancerous polyp, the number of polyps that we find and how large they are, and if there's any cancer cells in them, determine then when you would have your next colonoscopy. So it could be 10 years if you have tiny little precancerous polyps up to three that you know are pretty minimal. We think it does take a long time for someone to go from nothing to making a polyp to making a cancer. And so that's why we put 10 years between uh, a fairly normal colonoscopy. But if someone has a lot of polyps or they have large polyps or there's cancer cells in those polyps, then it'll be a shorter length of time between the next colonoscopy. It could be six months, a year, three years or five years based on on what we found for your next test.
0: Yeah, very interesting. And, And you talked about all of these different options and tests for patients, uh, how does, or how do you, I guess, decide which procedure, which treatment or test is is applicable to each patient? Or how will we know necessarily?
1: Yeah, I think um, it's, you know, it comes down to, I think people's comfort level of, of you know, what, how, if they want. The gold standard, you know, the number one recommended test is a colonoscopy. And so that that's what I had done. That's what I recommend other people have done too um it just has so many advantages from being able to look carefully at the inside of the intestine remove anything that we see that's abnormal it just it just gives you the best information it's still not a perfect test i mean it's um we still can miss things you know there's a lot of full your intestines kind of like an accordion or like a slinky there's lots of little folds mm-hmm. in there and so we can miss things sometimes it's not a you know absolutely perfect test uh, but it is the best test that we have and and um, so a lot of those other tests when they're positive, such as the stool DNA test or the stool blood test or or the CT scan, they always recommend a colonoscopy if it picks up something abnormal. So I kind of use that as as the reason to just, you know, get that one test and give, give me the best assurance that I feel like, okay, the intestine has been looked at completely, we've seen the whole thing, and then we've ruled out, you know, cancer as the cause of whatever someone is describing as their symptom that they're coming in with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great information. I want to get into some of the details about the colonoscopy because, as you mentioned, it is the gold standard for patients. Let's talk a little bit about what that experience is like for patients, maybe calm some nerves, those kinds of things. Um, If someone is listening today and has determined, okay, they should probably get that screening, what is their course of action?
1: Sure. So um, I guess I'll describe the test and then you know a little bit about my own experience too. So um, as I mentioned, we recommend if people don't have a family history of colon cancer and don't have symptoms, that that should start between age 45 and 50. It used to be a pretty hard cutoff of age 50, uh, but since we're seeing so many younger people now uh, develop colon cancer, they've kind of brought the guidelines down a little bit more towards 45 because there is a fair number of people that between 45 and 50 develop colon cancer. So uh, I just turned 45 and so I uh, recommended, I called the the GI department here. Um, I had a colonoscopy through our GI doctors, uh, myself and other surgeons within our hospital do colonoscopies too. Uh, You can contact your primary care doctor, you can call our general surgery office, you can call the GI office at the hospital and say, you know, I want to schedule a colonoscopy. Sometimes for your insurance, it would require a referral from primary care. Sometimes you can just call, you know, and and schedule it yourself. So you have your test scheduled and what they would uh, do then is prescribe for you a bowel clean out. And so um, basically the medicine that's in Miralax, which is an over-the-counter laxative, when you take a lot of that, uh, it will clean out your large intestine. And, And so, um, all of these bowel preps or these cleanouts involve some form of the medicine that's in Miralax. And um, they have uh, packets of powder basically that you put into water or juice or Gatorade and you uh, drink this uh, liquid uh, the day before to help get you cleaned out. Um, and uh, so in my experience, um, I started uh, with a clear liquid diet the day before, because I thought that I would get the prep done faster um, and not have more stool as uh, if you if I didn't have a big meal, you know the day before my test, for example. So uh, when you drink clear liquids, basically your body doesn't make any more stool from that, so you can you know kind of be cleaned out faster. And if people have problems with taking the prep, uh, you know if you just don't if it tastes bad, or you don't like drinking that much fluid. You can do it over two days because whenever you finish the prep, if you just stay on a clear liquid diet, your body won't make more poop from that. And so you can do it more slowly if you want to. Um, If you just don't want to take, you know, those two liters of liquid over a short period of time where it just makes you nauseated or you're going to throw up, whatever we want. We want you to basically really, the prep is important because it really gives you the best test. If your colon is completely clear of stool, the doctor can see very clearly that there's nothing there, and uh, the prep, you know, for a lot of people is the worst part. But um, it's important, you know, if, if you just like slam it down uh, and try to get through it and drink the drink the liquid as prescribed, but you just don't do it slowly and you're just trying to ram it through, your colon will still have stool in it, and then the doctor can't really see as well, and it's actually not as, as safe to do the procedure. When you still have a lot of stool in your colon. So it's a painful part of the process, but it's really important for your doctor to get the best test. Cause if your prep isn't complete, you know, if we do a colonoscopy and we see a lot of stool there, we might not be able to fully recommend a 10 years to the next one because we can't be totally sure that there wasn't stuff in there that we couldn't see because it was, you know, blocked up with stool. So right. When I started my prep, um, it started to hit me about uh, two hours later. I wasn't sure what it was going to take, but within about two hours uh, I was downstairs and uh, it it went through me pretty quick. And then I just stayed on fill liquids uh, the rest of the night and um, showed up the next day for the colonoscopy. Um, They want you to be nothing by mouth for about four to six hours before the procedure. So if it's in the morning, you probably wouldn't, you know, eat or drink after midnight, Um, My test was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so I just did some juice and things in the morning of the procedure, and then um, showed up at the hospital and uh, the nurse put my IV in and then um, meet the doctor. Uh, Sometimes the doctors want to meet you in the clinic beforehand. Almost always they'll just meet you down in the area of the procedure and talk with you about symptoms and things at that point. So it's usually just, just one visit is needed versus multiple visits. Um, and then once the doctor is ready, um, you go back into the, the area where they're going to do the test, either in the operating room or in the GI center. Uh, they start some medicine to make you sleepy. Um, the medicine hit me very quickly. And then it was, when I woke up, I was like, when we started, you know, it was so uh, it was I was very comfortable um, and uh, I didn't really have any pain from it. Um, so things that people are scared about, I think, are that it's embarrassing um you know i can tell you that um the the staff at our hospital are very professional the doctors are very professional um you know even in my clinic when people come in and, and they're embarrassed with things i can tell them that you know it's it's very seldom that something is, is memorable for us you know that we're going to remember somebody by you know so um, you have to kind of get over a little bit of that you know that you're almost completely covered you know during the exam so people aren't going to be you know seeing things that they're not supposed to see uh, it's in a dark room you know the, the nurses do this, you know, 20 times a day, you know, and, and the doctors are very comfortable with it too. So on an embarrassment standpoint, you know, I, I think that it's everyone's very professional. They do it every day, very common procedure. So um, you're very, very covered up. Um, the bowel prep, you know, people are concerned about that often and just don't want to do the bowel prep. Um, for me, it, it wasn't that bad, um, you know, and, and uh, you're usually done with a prep over a few hours uh, as I mentioned, if, if the prep is really uh, uncomfortable, uh, doing it slowly can help you to to get through the prep easier. Um, and then, you know, just because it, it's one of those things that, you know, you you do it for your own health and so and for the health of your family, you know, if, if myself was diagnosed with colon cancer, well, then my kids are affected, you know, and my, my parents would be affected too. So, um, you know, those are things that are important to kind of you know, get through the test because it's going to impact your whole family. If they do find something, it's not not just for you, it's bigger than you. You know, if you get a diagnosis with colon cancer, then your kids will have to be tested at a younger age and your siblings, brothers and sisters, will have to be tested at a, at a different age too. So, and they, and they did find a polyp in my colonoscopy. So age 45, I had a little tiny polyp. Um, but who knows what would have happened in the five years between now and age 50 if I would have just waited until age 50. So um, for me, it was a good experience, gave me peace of mind, and the fact that a little pollock was found is important to me. Now, because one of those pollocks was found, I actually can't wait 10 years for my next colonoscopy, so I'm doing it again at 50, so I can get an update at that point. But um, it, was, uh, it was a good experience. Uh, it gave me peace of mind, and... Um, I actually, they did find something that's going to require follow up in a few years.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think you touched on a few things that, that probably patients wanted to hear in that number one, they're, they're out for the procedure. They can't really feel anything as this is going on. And if you do the prep properly, there is a chance that it'll be completely clear and they don't have to come back for 10 years. So doing it correctly is, is probably some motivation in that regard. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, the whole thing takes about 15 minutes, honestly, you know, in terms of the actual test itself. Yeah. Uh, you come in, you know, about an hour beforehand and they, they monitor you for you to wake up a little bit. So, you know, maybe two hours from door to door. Uh, you, need a, you need a driver that day to drive you home because you're getting some anesthesia to, to make you sleepy and comfortable. But in terms of the discomfort and things, I mean, I, I had zero pain, basically. Get a little bit bloated for a while, but we use carbon dioxide in our colonoscopies, which means you reabsorb that gas very quickly. Um, so it's it's a it's a pretty quick you know procedure that doesn't um, you know again my experience very little pain. We can give patients pain medicine and more sedation if they are uncomfortable during the procedure. Um, so we do our best to make it as comfortable and easy for people to have the test uh, because it is the best test that we can offer. And I would love it if I never had to uh, operate on somebody with colon cancer anymore. If we did, you know, all of these tests and screening properly and catch all this before it becomes cancer, you know, what what a great way, you know, for us to um, not have to give people the information that they have a cancer, that they need a surgery, that you know, their life may be impacted or shortened from colon cancer if we can get more of these screening tests done, we know that these tests actually prevent cancer and it would be a wonderful achievement if we never had to do cancer surgery anymore because we were catching all of this so quickly.
0: Yeah, I wanna talk a little bit about that because again, that early detection and finding it early, if it is something that needs to be removed immediately, can they do that all at the same time while while they're in there for the colonoscopy?
1: Yeah, so um, most polyps, which are those precancer growths, we can remove right away and we send them off and then we know you know, what the risk is of that polyp. So certain things that make a polyp higher risk for cancer would be the size of it, uh, where it's located. There are certain features of polyps that make one more or less risky for cancer. Even uh, we can find cancer cells within a polyp. And if we find a polyp and remove it completely, even with some cancer cells in the polyp, if they don't if we didn't leave any behind um, then that's all that you have to do you don't need surgery in that case so even if there is a small amount of cancer within a polyp um, then you know we, we don't have to do anything else polyps are kind of in two shapes they're either sort of in pyramid shapes or they're in kind of cauliflower on a stock kind of shapes and so cauliflower on a stock or a golf ball on a tee kind of a shape you know when we take the stalk away or take that the, the tee of the golf ball away um, that's going to have a much better chance of getting everything out. Um, these pyramid type shape polyps are harder to remove because there's more of a base to them and they can be sort of putting roots down into the wall of your intestine and that's where we find a, a cancer how it behaves is the cancer starts off in the polyp but it's like a, a plant putting roots down deeper into the wall of your intestine and if it gets into that surface layer and try to put roots down into the wall of your intestine. That's where a colonoscopy may not be able to remove it completely uh, or might have some uh, high-risk cells left behind. So our pathologists that look at the polyp when it's removed, they want to see if it's all been removed or if there's cancer or bad cells right at the border of where it was cut across. And if there's anything left over right at that border without a healthy margin of healthy tissue between it, then that's when surgery sometimes is needed, or sometimes we find a cancer that's there that's obviously way too deep or too large to remove just with a colonoscopy. Then we take a biopsy to confirm that it is cancer, so take a little piece of it or a sample of it to show ourselves you know, through the pathologist that it is truly cancer, and that's when then surgery is needed if it's something that is too deep or too large to remove with the tools that we have with our colonoscopy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, just getting back to that colonoscopy being kind of that gold standard, where you can kind of find out all of that information and process the treatment. Um, we, you had talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, I do want to talk about it again because we'd be remiss, obviously, with COVID-19. You had mentioned the number of screenings down significantly in the past year. Can you talk a little bit about why? That is such a problem, and and maybe what recommendations you have for patients if they are putting those types of things off or putting these screenings off.
1: Yeah, so I think there's you know two kind of big reasons. One of which is that hospitals just shut down for quite a long time, um, and uh, so people couldn't get. They had to cancel colonoscopies. They just couldn't get in. You know when they wanted to. Um, and so that in that, this year was predicted roughly a 90% decrease in colonoscopies across the country. So that's a huge number. Um, and the, the downstream impact of that is that um, there may be cancers that people have that weren't diagnosed early or polyps that people have that have turned into cancer in that time for when they're able to get a colonoscopy again. The other factor is not on the hospital side, but on the patient side. People have lost their jobs. People have lost health insurance. So when people are trying to decide if they can pay rent and pay for food, these extra things like preventative type testing uh, often gets put on the back burner, too. And and that's going to be something that we're probably going to see a much longer impact from because the hospitals now are pretty much back to full capacity in most areas of the country. people that, you know, just don't have the health insurance anymore, or they don't have the money to be able to pay for a preventative test, you know, that's going to have real long-term impact. It's hard, I think, to know right now how many cancers have been missed or, or whatever as a, as a result of this time period, but we know that colonoscopies were greatly decreased. And so that's definitely going to have impact in the years to come on people that just didn't get the test in time and then actually have a cancer or have a bad cancer that's already spread. Uh, or someone that has a polyp that could have been removed and then has become a cancer in the meantime, you know, since they didn't get their test done. So uh, it's something that we're all trying to to work for here and try to improve and catch up. Um, And and I know that our hospital definitely has capacity for, for increasing the number of colonoscopies, and I think that the other hospitals do too. So I just would encourage people, if they have a way to get the test, if they're due for it, or if they're worried about symptoms and they're putting things off because they just don't want to to manage it, you know, it's so much better for us to be able to treat it now versus somebody coming in a year or two later and then all of a sudden they have, you know, a, a cancer we can't fix, we can't cure them of that. You know, that has such a much more impact on someone's family than, you know, having a test that we can uh, find something early and, you know, prevent cancer altogether.
0: Yeah yeah I, I think that's a great way to to wrap up here too. I just want to reiterate again the the importance of that early detection and and maybe what waiting um could possibly mean for somebody if they do wait too long. Can you talk about that?
1: Um yeah, so um you know there's there's certain uh, risk factors for cancer um, and um, um so I would say. Age is one of them, you know, so as you get older, you increase your risk of getting colon cancer. Um, it's, it's re- you know, your body always has cells that are reproducing and changing, particularly in your intestinal tract. So in your mouth and your stomach and in your intestine, your body is always reproducing the lining of that part of your body. And so when you have cells that are reproducing rapidly, if one of those cells makes a mistake in its, its DNA and its reproduction, uh, and gets a mutation in its its genes. That's when a cell turns into a precancer cell. And if then all those cells kind of uh, reproduce rapidly and jumble up on themselves, that's what gives you a polyp in your intestine. Mm-hmm. So uh, things that can trigger that would be your own genetics. Um so you know if you again family have a family history of colon cancer, you may have gotten a gene that passes that down to you that makes that more prone to happen. Um, there's things in our diet, so things like smoking, alcohol, and uh, red meats or processed meats. When your body uh, digests these meats with chemicals in them, or any real, you know, all the food that we have now is a lot more processed than it was before. Processing means we've added chemicals, we've added preservatives, we've added all these things to our diet. And as that's breaking down in our body, that releases chemicals that can then be damaging to the inside of your intestine. And so if any one of those chemicals causes a change in the DNA of the intestine, then that can form you know, these abnormal cells that can, um, you know, uh, change into a polyp or a cancer. Uh, Smoking does the same thing. We know that smoking, you know, increases the risk of any cancer in your body, again, just because of causing damage to your intestine. Um, And so, uh, and also we know that obesity, diabetes, all those kind of things that make you a little more prone to other diseases, uh, puts you at risk for colon cancer too. So there's an age part of it, but there's also things that we can change to eat a healthier diet or reduce things that can trigger cancer like alcohol and smoking. and Those are things, those are more preventable things. We can't change our DNA, you know, you can't change your your parents, um, but there are things that we can do to keep ourselves healthy and that can reduce the the chance of
0: cancer. Absolutely. So in addition to screening, some of those common things like diet and exercise, those kinds of things can help in this regard as well.
1: Yeah, so we just know that um, there's many things that you can do, you know, for your own health. So not only getting your colonoscopy or getting a test to look for it, but also trying to limit the things that can trigger cancer, you know, diet, exercise, those kind of things also has a very good impact. So, you know, let's say somebody is diagnosed with a polyp and, and, you know, they... I have a polyp removed and they ask the doctor, okay, what are things that I can do to keep me from getting more polyps in the future or reduce my chance of colon cancer? That's when we start talking about, you know, what does your diet look like? Do you have a lot of fruits and vegetables? Do you have things that are considered like antioxidants in your diet, which again, improves your body's response to chemicals that can alter DNA? You are know, a smoker or are a drinker? Do you exercise? All those kind of things we encourage people to do um, to um, uh, reduce the risk of, of future cancer as much as possible. And then also if they were diagnosed, I tell people to talk to their family about it because you have to talk to your children, you have to talk to your brothers and sisters and your parents uh, if you were diagnosed with either a polyp or a cancer because they may want to know that. We talked earlier about starting at age 45 to 50, For an average person, let's say say you're a higher risk, let's say your parent had colon cancer. So we would start earlier in that case. So if a first degree relative, such as a child, sibling, or parent was diagnosed with colon cancer, we usually start screening about 10 years before that person was diagnosed. So if my father had colon cancer at age 50, I would start my testing at age 40. Um, And so family history does play a part in that as well. Uh, we try to do 10 years before the person in the family was diagnosed.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the underlying theme here is is to not be afraid to have those conversations, both with your family and with your doctors, providers, those kinds of things.
1: Yeah, I can tell you that personally, um, the night of my colonoscopy, I texted my brother and sister and I said that uh, they found a polyp and you guys uh, better uh, get tested. That's what I passed on to my family after my (laughs) Um, but yeah. I'm sure our family has these conversations more than the average family. But uh, you know, it's one of those things that you just, as as uncomfortable as that may be, uh, I think sharing it helpful to just open up the conversation. And um, that's why we do things like this, where I can tell people about my own colonoscopy, because if it's helpful to encourage people to be less afraid or to understand that you know the reasons why we're trying to you know right. clean. All in for the test, then it's, it's totally worth it. And, you know, everyone has a GI tract, so, it, you know, everyone experiences um, the same stuff. And so that's why it's important. It's people that don't want to talk about it, uh, but it's a conversation that can be life-saving.
0: Right. Absolutely. Uh, this is great information. Thank you so much for spending some time to, today with us, Dr. Johnson. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Again, Dr. Eric Johnson is a colorectal surgeon with Aurora BayCare General and Vascular Surgery. He sees patients in Green Bay. Uh, If you wanna learn more about BayCare Clinic or request an appointment, uh, please go ahead and visit the link in this post or just visit baycare.net. Thanks so much for joining us and have a great day.
1: Bye.